On this episode of the Give Me Some Truth podcast, Keith and Clint discuss why professors are too conservative in their investments, how professors might be able to take advantage of the unique offerings of the university system, and where to get the best value tweets. Keith, uh, off air here, you kind of mentioned something about the Mustard Museum, and I have not been, and nor has Hannah. So, Well, and, and the reason it came up is because uh, we learned that your son likes mustard. He likes mustard. He likes hot stuff. So actually, he's been eating uh, pepperoncini peppers, and he likes the tamed jalapenos, which you can get in the, in the thing, and they're actually not that hot, and, and he loves Are them. Are they loves... tamed? Like, yeah, like, they're, they're like pretty good. Yeah, yeah. With a like circus trainer? <laughs> <laughs> These jalapenos will jump through my hoop of fire. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're about, I'd say the tamed jalapenos are about the same heat as a pepperoncini. But so the, the, the cool thing about the Mustard Museum is not just the museum itself, which features hundreds and hundreds of mustard bottles and mustard paraphernalia and mustard stories and videos about mustard. It's that it's essentially a, the Mustard Museum is an annex to the Mustard Museum gift shop, which is just tons and tons of, of mustards. I mean, like hundreds of mustards that you can uh, taste. They have a lot of samples. And so if you have a kid, it's a great place to bring them, you know, for maybe an hour. And they go through and they, if they like mustard and they like spicy stuff, there are plenty of, of good spicy mustards. You maybe get a hot dog with some mustard on it, get a pretzel with some mustard on it. Uh, a variety of mustards. I'll let you dip that, that pretzel in a variety of, of mustards. And then also they have those little pretzel sticks that you can dip and, and sample mustards. So I would figure that the whole tasting process is a 45-minute process, and the mustard museum part is like 15. Because it's not like it's that intricate a thing of making mustard. It's not like you're shaping dough and doing all this stuff. I mean, it's Yeah, there are no like live... It's not like old world Wisconsin where there's like a butter churning demo. There's no mustard <laughs> churning demo. There's not... Back in the olden days, we made the mustard like so. No mustard grinding going on. No, no. Sadly not. They don't have a mustard field out back. <laughs> Farm to table mustard. No, none of that sort of stuff, uh, which is too bad. Iteration. Maybe we should buy the mustard museum and then move it up a notch, Keith. Well, what we need is, a, I think, an endowed professor of mustard studies. I think, how could you argue with that? If you're listening, let's do this. Yeah. I'll visit and be a very silent partner. I think this this makes perfect sense. Uh, speaking of professors, that's actually the the main reason we wanted to get together uh, to talk today because we both have sort of unique insights on investing for professors and um, you know how they some of the mistakes they make, the common mistakes, and some of the the things we see. And I, I think one of the things we kind of agreed on is that professors tend to not take enough risk in their portfolios. Yeah, as a general rule, I would say that they're fairly risk-averse overall. And I don't know know the exact reason for this. I mean, perhaps it's just more of the fear of not knowing. Well, I I gave this some thought over the weekend when we started uh, thinking about this podcast. Um, And I think one of the reasons is in order to be successful as 
a professor, you find holes, especially if you're a research professor, you find holes in other people's theories, right? So the, the kind of cast of mind you have is, you know, you can find the spot where the theory breaks down. You know, you, somebody proposes some sort of theory about, uh, you know, the, the growth of the oak tree and you're the one that comes in and says, well, actually there's, you overlook this variable. And so I think it's that, you know, that cast of mind that you're always looking for, for something that, uh, you know, is missing in the theory. And so the stock market, there's lots and lots of stuff missing in, in the theory, right? We're and not, also investing in general, I would yeah. say, right? Not yeah. just the stock market, but an asset allocation or passive versus active management, all of that. Because yep. I, I think we've had some generally accepted sorts of rules. And I think that you can always find a piece or two that turns that all upside down on its head. Yeah. And, and as well, I think as uh, one of the things that professors generally like to do is, you know, they try to trim things out of their life that interferes with their research uh, or thinking about the the big problems that they face. So they may not necessarily want to have to stress and, and strain and think about, you know, what's going on with their 401k and in their investing. And so they go, ah, well, let's do something conservative and, and set it and forget it. But yeah, and the economist had an, an article about this a couple of years ago that I thought was pretty interesting. And they basically compared, you know, typically where professors portfolios lie, there was a sort of study they did with where traders working in equity markets where their portfolios were and professors generally had more bonds you know more conservative and you know these traders had lots and lots of equities and they said well if you look at you know the actual job and how much of it is tied to the markets really the inverse should be true right if you're taking a lot of risk in your you know monetary fiscal risk in your professional life like you are as a as a trader, right? And the market tanks and you're out of a job uh, versus, you know, most professors have tenure, uh, though the number is dwindling rapidly and we can discuss academic politics off air. Those are actually the people, the ones with the more secure and, and steady incomes over time who should be taking more risk and who can afford to take more risk. And, and that's income in two different ways, right? It's income pre-retirement, uh, being able to have a strong, steady income that's often fairly high, relatively speaking, and then uh, in retirement, a more pension-oriented income as well, where they're going to switch that on and, and much like Social Security, have that income pay them uh, for the rest of their lives, and then perhaps a, uh, a partner or spouse that is also going to get paid out if, uh, if somebody passes away. Yeah. And so there, there is that, that security thing. And one of the things I've often noted uh, when I do financial plans, for instance, because I work with a lot of people outside of the United States who may have undefined Social Security benefits, so we leave them out of the plan or uh, have, you know, kind of complicated Social Security situations where, you know, for the purposes of the planning, it, it, the benefits are, are greatly reduced. What you find is Social Security provides in the the long run of your financial plan a, a good and strong baseline and really improves when you look at those chance of success metrics a lot because it is that steady income and, and pension incomes are, are very similar in that way. And they both tend to keep pace with inflation 
overall. I mean, at least speaking to the state of Wisconsin plan, it's right around inflation that we see. Uh, and then for Social Security, it literally is a cost of living increase. And that might be something that they monkey with in the future. But at this point, uh, there's no changes that are imminent uh, to that plan. So it does increase with inflation, which is great. It keeps the purchasing power going in that scenario. And then you're not related to the stock market. So when we're talking about that, I would say, Keith, as a former professor yourself, uh, your thesis is that professors could potentially take more risk because they have two different income streams in most cases, and that would be Social Security and stacked on top of that their pension income, which could be even greater than Social Security if they had a lot of years of service. Yeah, exactly. And as well, you know, because if you have tenure, generally, you know, your income while you're earning is is fairly steady. And so you don't have to worry about, you know, if the market tanks, you also losing your job and then having to draw on diminished savings in most cases. In your, your stock and bond portfolio, you can take a lot more risk in stock portfolio because you know that, you know, obviously there are some exceptional circumstances, but from from now and until, you know, it's time to start collecting your that pension, First of all, you're going to be receiving, you know, your your income. It'll probably increase with with cost of living. Uh, you hope, and also, you know, then when you retire, you're also going to have a fixed income portion, right, in your pension and in your retirement income. That uh, you know, a lot fewer and fewer people generally have those pensions. And then, you know, those people are also many times, you know, their their jobs are a little more market economy related. And so what you you can do as a professor is take on in that portion of your portfolio where you're investing a lot more risk. You can go stocks, stocks, stocks. That's an interesting take on that. And now it leads me to believe that I should be taking less risk in my own portfolio because uh, I'm highly correlated to the stock market considering our client base generates the revenue and they're significantly weighted towards stocks. So I should probably be more in bonds, correct? Yes. According to your theoretically, thesis? theoretically, we probably take too much uh, risk. I mean, one of the, the things that, you know, I've, I've talked about with people as well, I think we both know a number of people in the real estate industry, for instance, right? And where do real estate people really want to go and invest? Uh, well, they want to buy more real estate for sure. They want to buy investment properties and become a real estate mogul. Yeah. Um, and then they're generally fairly risk tolerant uh, as far as the stock market too. Yeah. But, you know, as a real estate, you know, say you're a real estate agent and you're selling houses, your, you know, your job, it, it, your income is highly correlated to that real estate market, right? So if that drops you know, the bottom drops out of that and that's where your investment portfolio is, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're in real trouble there. I would say that uh, a good situation for a realtor could be if they owned rental properties because of the cycle, the non-correlation yeah. between that, right? Yeah. So that, that might be one spot if you're a real estate agent, you'd, you'd want to be a, uh, in the rental markets. Yeah. Residential rental markets, right? Although you, yeah. Well, and then you'd probably want to be in bonds because those would be, you know, as interest rates increase, I mean, granted, bond values would go down, but you'd get more income that way. Um, as the, and generally when interest rates go up, house sales decline. So, 
I, and I, I think it's one of the things this economist article uh, that I'm talking about that I mentioned before. It, I think, and it's what we do when we do financial planning, right? Is we're trying to think of that whole financial picture and think about the portfolio in terms of what risk our clients like to take, but also how much risk they can afford. And I think that's one of the things professors don't realize. And part of it, too, I think part of the reason professors tend to be risk averse is graduate school lasts a long time. And maybe there there's some field where graduate students, computer science, you know, if you're at the cutting edge of like computer science, graduate students are making a good living. But most graduate students are not not building up the 401ks at that point. And I think if you have, you know, if you're well into your 30s before you're really earning a, a decent income, you have a certain amount of, uh, you know, uh, habits that, that are, are risk averse when it comes to money. Habits and or like post-traumatic stress disorder of going through that graduate education. <laughs> graduate <laughs> school is, it's, oh, boy, that's a whole separate, we, we would probably have to do, we it would become a call-in show. <laughs> It'd be like, uh, you know, those psychologist call-in shows from the late 90s, you know, with Fraser, uh, Fraser Crane. Yes, uh, I've got uh, some graduate, st- graduate school stories to tell, yes. I'm listening. I'm sure you could because uh, I'm sure you've got plenty of that. And then you decided to spend uh, some of your... Uh, tenure as a professor overseas as well, which I'm sure has some good stories too. Yeah, well, and it's where I got uh, intimately acquainted with, uh, you know, all the complications of f- filing taxes as a U.S. citizen abroad, which is is good, clean, good, clean fun. So, um, but I, I think you know, uh, when we when we look at portfolios, it's part of the the whole thing. Is for professors, a lot of them think, oh, I should be, you know, or I'm risk averse, but. Uh, a lot of our job is not only, you know, convincing people that they can take more risk, but hey, it's a it's a good idea to take more risk, you know. I think that we find a lack of understanding from professors as far as what their actual benefits will be in retirement. We run those projections all the time for people because that's part of our job and people are shocked as to the value of that pension if we actually gave them a present value of those uh of those distributions that the pension is going to make throughout their lifetime. If they you know, live till age 90, it can be a significant amount of money in the seven-figure range if they live a long time and they make a good salary uh, pre-retirement. And so I think that running through that with our clients and educating them on the benefit of that, the benefit of the sick leave conversion, if they're specifically a UW system person, uh, there's this sick leave conversion that adds to their kind of health care bucket in retirement. Uh, that can be a huge amount. I saw one that was $350,000 of, of just health care benefit because they had apparently never gotten sick in their entire career. Uh, so that was, that was very helpful. And then uh, on top of that, being able to place the investments in the plan and showing them that usually it's not that big a portion of their plan when we take into account what the present value of Social Security and their pension is. Usually their investments are a much smaller amount in the pie, and therefore they have the ability to take more risk. And I I think that it's helpful the earlier we get these professors in to discuss this with them because then they can they can plan things out a little bit better. Well, and and you know, one of the the sort of default positions we always have is, you know, we think the 401k is the best way to save for retirement, right? But what many people don't 
you know, sort of realize is that when you retire, when you pull money out of that 401k while you get the tax deferral benefit now, when you're pulling money out of that, you know, bucket in retirement, it's tax at your income tax rate. And if you're not calculating, oh my goodness, my pension is worth X amount or is going to be worth X amount. And a lot of teachers and professors don't realize, you know, they may be giving up. uh, I just talked to a, a teacher uh, yesterday who the last three years of his career was giving up $12,000 a year by not retiring because his pension was that much more valuable than his, than his salary. And if he keeps putting money into a 401k, when it comes time to pull that money out, you know, you're at that, you're going to be at a higher tax rate. You're going to be, you know, doing all this. And I'm one of the big kind of uh, benefits of of the four hundred one k gets gets erased. So obviously, you know, you w- want to look at a, a match if it's available to you. But the four hundred one k may not be your your best bet. That's right. And in most cases, there's not a match uh, for the people that are professors because uh, the pension is essentially their match. Yeah. And and for professors, obviously, it's a, generally a four hundred three b. I apologize. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the concepts are correct, right? Four hundred one k or four hundred three b, and then. At the UW system, you also have the ability to do Wisconsin Deferred Compensation, which is a 457 plan as well. So we've got all kinds of different, um, you know, all kinds of different options that people have. uh, And there's extra savings amounts. And we also see this as being a key component to working with a financial advisor is making sure that you're taking advantage of all of those options available to you to save money. Uh, we just met with two professors, Nate and I did, that have salaries that are really high. I think it's like 450 between the two of them, and they're not taking advantage of all their pre-tax savings, and they're getting crushed in taxes. And they didn't even realize that they couldn't save. They could save in a 403b and 457 at the same time. That's a lot of money that they can yeah. shelter from income tax. Uh, and also, as you're alluding to, Keith, you know, if somebody's earning 70 grand, being a uh, a professor and they're getting started, they may be looking, they should be looking at Roth IRAs, Roth 403Bs, Roth 457s uh, versus the pre-tax ones to build up that sort of savings as their income's on the lower side in their career. Yeah. And then, you know, as well, uh, when you're you're in this position as, you know, for everyone, a 529 plan is always a is always a good idea as well. And, and I think it also comes down to what's what's the goal for your money in the long run? You know, many people, it's just, well, get to, get to retirement, get to retirement, uh, you know, get a, get a second home. Well, those are all noble goals, but at some point when you meet those goals, what are you, what are you aiming for beyond that? You know, what's the, what's the goal for your money? And that can help govern your choices. And I always say it's not, it's not to just, you know, get a bigger, you know, pile under your bed, but you can do more good with that money if you're thinking about it, you know, in the right, in the right way. And I think that's something that's very important to a lot of professors is doing something with the money as well beyond just, you know, accumulating a pile of it. That's exactly right. Having a good legacy, uh, or being able to pass it on to family members for multi-generational wealth. And how do you do that efficiently? Uh, pensions don't really pass on after you have the one death or two deaths. So we need to build up a pile of money if multi-generational wealth is important to you. So how do we do that? Where do we do that? What's the most tax efficient places? The laws have changed on that as well with the SECURE Act. So it's really important to go review your own financial situation and know where you're putting your assets and how it might uh, 
benefit loved ones in the long run? Yeah. I, I, the the final kind of thing I'll say is is sort of a I guess a little bit of a sales pitch, but I think as a firm we're uniquely qualified to deal with these sort of situations because you and Nate have have worked with a number of professors at the UW just you know from your time you know before starting this firm, and then you know I'm a, a professor myself, so I from the behaviors of, of professors and finance. I've seen a lot of it. You know, I, I know that, uh, many universities have from the, the, fu- f- the, the, uh, you know, families that offer, you know, the four or three B's or whatever they send around their investment counselors that help you. And I've, you know, dealt with those people and, and, and they're not, they're not great. <laughs> um, and so I think sometimes people get a, a false impression of what a financial advisor can do for them. They think, oh, well, this Yahoo, you know, is 24 years old and just tapped a bunch of numbers into a computer and I didn't help me at all. And I think, you know, as a firm, both from the behavioral and from our knowledge of, of all the plans and options that professors have, we're kind of uniquely positioned to, to help folks in that, in those situations. You're speaking directly at me because I was that guy because I was uh, 23 years old doing that. Uh, when I first worked with school teachers at MetLife, at a tiny division of MetLife, MetLife Resources. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I was one of those guys. Uh, you, you were the Yahoo. Huh? I was the Yahoo. <laughs> now it's 43. You know, I'm 43 now. So I've been doing it like, you know, almost 20 years now in, in doing That's that. That's almost half your life. Dude, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's it's been a few years. So yeah. I first registered in uh, March of 2001. So I'm approaching my, my 19th year doing this thing now. So it's it's crazy. But yeah. And are you less of a Yahoo now? I, I would like to believe so. But <laughs> I guess I guess we could ask our clients that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm uniquely talented there in that I've worked in it for 19 years, but Keith's uniquely talented in the fact that he has an extensive tweed collection. So that uh, makes him yes. one with professors right uh, there. Uh, by the way, and an extensive value tweed collection. Uh, you know, I lived out in, in Philadelphia, and I'll tell you, I got uh, quite a few jackets at uh, like uh, your, your Goodwill up and down the main line in Philadelphia. You can get some great tweed. Sample sales in New York as well. Good place for tweed. And this tweed jacket I'm wearing from Land's End, how much did it cost, Clint? Because I was bragging about it all last week. I, I think it was like, what, like $40? Ha! <laughs> $15, Clint. $15 is At insane. Goodwill. Yeah. At Goodwill. So, Land's End. Good brand. At, uh, Land's End, tweed jacket. You know, $15. I don't think they make them like that anymore. No, this is like bulletproof. So uh, I think we've covered everything professors need to know. Where to get your, your discount tweed and 403Bs, 457s, and MetLife annuity yahoos. <laughs> <laughs> Compliance Clint is going to object to that. Isn't it? <laughs> Thanks a lot, Keith. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Give Me Some Truth.
advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch DeWitt, and Keith Ponywise are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.